See, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've been doing in our midst already this evening. And we pray that you would be speaking very clearly to each one of us about your purposes for us as a community and also as individuals. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, do you, do you remember those wristbands, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, uh, we're starting a new series tonight, WDWDWD. Um, <laughs> why do we do what we do? Very snappily entitled. Uh, have you ever wondered why we do what we do in church? It's good to check your default settings uh, from time to time and just to sort of see if they're fit for purpose. And what do we see in the early church in, in uh, verse 42 of that chapter we just read? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we're going to look at each of these things uh, in the, the coming weeks. But why do we even gather in the first place? Well, it's, it's very simple. Jesus commanded us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is the application of that command by Jesus. Jesus, he, he dies and he rises again, he ascends to heaven and he sends his Holy Spirit at Pentecost and God's people are empowered to, to love him and to love one another. And so it, it got me thinking that if, if you grew up on a desert island, just hypothetically, and uh, all you had was Acts chapter 2 and then you came here and you stepped inside this building and you saw what was happening here, would you call that the church? Because if you read this, what do you get? Well, yes, you get gathering. Yes, you get, you get singing and, and praying and teaching and communion. You get all of those things. And they're all the ingredients, if you like. All the ingredients are there. But if all the ingredients are there, have you actually uh, made a cake? Because all of those things matter, and they're essential, and we're going to be looking at those things in, in the coming weeks. But they're not the, the essence of the church. What binds us together as a church is devotion to God. It's devotion to each other. It's devotion to those beyond the walls of this building that we happen to call a church. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. We see this, this radical devotion, this, this radical love. You know, I've been to, to endless uh, lessons and, and seminars and conferences on, on how to build a church. 
on, on what makes a church. And, and I know the formula very well, and, and you do too. You know, you, you serve half-decent coffee. Uh, you have great children's work. And you choose cracking worship songs. You try not to bore people to death with the talk, hopefully. And, and it's a formula that we all know well, don't we? But if, if that's the formula, uh, the solution needs to be that we um, love God with all of our hearts, souls, mind, and strength, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Because I think in the West, we, we confuse form with substance. How many times does God say, I've had enough of your religious gatherings? I've had enough of your singing. As if we file into a building on a Sunday evening and we sing some songs and we follow a formula and yet we don't grow in love for God and we don't grow in love for each other, then we've missed the point. We've missed the why we do what we do. And it's probably better that we're here than at the cinema. I don't know, maybe, unless it's a really good film. But whatever you do, please don't call it the church. Let's not pretend that it's the church. I've sat in so many meetings uh, around church services, and it's quite hard to define success. You know, it's such a a qualitative thing. How do you create a a smart goal around uh, Christianity? But if there's a formula that we know the answer needs to be loving God with everything and loving our neighbors as ourselves, that is how God measures our success as a church. And so perhaps it's a good thing that we call this a service because we are here to serve God and we're here to serve each other. Many of you will will know that I I quite often like to compare different uh, translations of the Bible and just to sort of point out some of the subtle differences and and just the the slight changes in in some of those words and the different meaning that, that can then result. And actually, uh, the other day, I came across an, a new translation of the Bible. It's called the Western Church Translation. I'm going to keep up the NIV on the screen, um, just so you can tell the sort of subtle differences. Um, but I'm going to read out the Western Church Translation so you can compare those, those differences. So, so Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something. And they had flat whites together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. Some of the believers got together and talked about generosity, but they kept all their possessions to themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes, and they rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all the people, and occasionally, someone was randomly saved. This is not the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. We know that we're made for more, don't we? We know that we're made for more. Let's have a, a slightly closer look at the NIV, shall we? So in verse 43, have a look there. It says, everyone was filled with awe. And so sometimes, um, so often when, we, when it comes to gathering, we, we settle for, for attending, but not or don't we? Some of us don't even settle for attending. You know, this week we've got this thing on or that thing on, and then next weekend, yeah, that thing too, and it's been a really busy week. 
And before you know it, it's been a month since you've gathered with the people of God. I wonder, does, does that look like verse 46? Does that look like every day continuing to meet together? Fitting in church when you don't happen to have other weekend activities, that, that needs to stop. Arriving late and leaving early needs to stop. What could possibly be more important than worshipping God and gathering with his people? Does that look like devotion to God? Does this look like devotion to his church? You will not mature as a consumer. You will not mature as a lone ranger. And you can't grow in your love for God. You can't grow in your love for each other by yourself. And do we, do we come to church with the expectation that this is the place where God breaks in, that this is where he shows his power, that he will heal, that he will perform signs and wonders among his people? Because I don't see the early church playing church. I don't see the early church neglecting the, the presence of God. You and I were made for more. So, so take this uh, loving each other stuff. It says there in verse 44, all the, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Well, actually, they, they had themselves in common too. If you look at uh, verse 43, it says everyone. Verse 44, all. Everything. Verse 45, they, they, they. Have you noticed all the... There's, the, the, there's, there's no personal pronouns here. It's a collective and all the verbs are very strong. This is not a, a passive thing, but it's a very active thing of, of how we love one another. It's not sort of just, oh, I feel love for you. But it's a very active love. Because we get so many commands in the New Testament, don't we, around what it means to love one another. And we want to be following the commandments of Jesus, don't we? I mean, we, we want to be prioritizing what the essence of the church is. We want to be prioritizing the commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. So what are some of the commandments we see in the New Testament? It says, uh, be at peace with one another. Show hospitality to one another. Honor one another. Receive one another. Do not fight with one another. Serve one another. Don't envy one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Bear the burdens of one another, show deference to one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another, don't lie to one another, provoke one another to good works, comfort one another, don't hate one another, don't speak evil of one another, pray for one another, be like-minded with one another. Do not hold a grudge with one another. Highly esteem one another. Don't be partial to one another. Have fellowship with one another. Edify one another. Teach one another. Exhort one another. Administer the spiritual gifts to one another. Does that look like your Christian experience? The, the connection is so tangible. It's asking, is there anything you need right now? How can I help you? Very, very practically. Verse 45, they, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We gather. Why do we gather? To love one another. That this is our priority. I think this is a particular challenge for us as a church as we grow. That we'd be a church that talks about depth as much as growth. That we might love each other deeply and radically 
And this bit is down to, to you and me. Yes, an hour on a Sunday, but that alone will not cut it. You know, I think I've, I, I, I've, I like to think I've been quite vulnerable with you. You know, if you've been here for a while, you may have heard me uh, talk about burnout and uh, chronic fatigue. And uh, being vulnerable like that, it, it enables me to, to connect with you, rather than just sort of speaking information at you. And we all know that there's this sort of fad at the moment of, of vulnerability, because we know that vulnerability enables us to connect with each other. Now, I'm not going to sort of completely bare my soul to, to hundreds of people, but I think we're very good, aren't we, at sort of sharing just enough information that gives the illusion of vulnerability, that gives you a sense of connecting, but without really revealing your heart, without really revealing what is going on with you. You know, our generation is in a frightful mess, partially because we're worshipping with increasing awe and reverence and devotion at the idol of the self, and, and we're consuming one another, and we don't know how to connect with one another. And can I urge you to, if you don't already have this person here, to, to, to find someone that you can be real with, that you can regularly reveal your heart to on a regular basis, that you've given permission to, to ask the hard questions, that there will be someone who, who frankly loves you enough to, to reflect back to you from time to time your blind spots. You know, but it, it often it requires that courage for us to, to make the first step, to be a community of courage, that we would be that person. And, and if you don't have that person, can I encourage you to pray that God would reveal that person to you and that he would provide that person for you, someone trustworthy, someone that you can respect. If we're not fostering that sort of depth of relationship, then, frankly, we're, we're wasting each other's time. Can I encourage you that maybe you want to be that person that, that shifts your connect group from being a consumed group into a connect group? In verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And we think they, they, the early church, they met in, in the temple in, in Solomon's colonnade. And then Luke goes on, they broke bread in their homes. And this is connect groups. This is inviting people over. This is sharing life together all, all the time. And this takes time. It takes commitment. It's, it's the hard graft of, of slow sanctification in an age of, of instant gratification. Luke goes on, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I was recently at a, uh, at a barbecue uh, with some people from this church. And we're, we're, we're actually a, a pretty motley crew. And um, it was wonderful. I mean, there's such a cross-section of society, of people's backgrounds and, and life experiences. And I just sort of got thinking, I mean, where else in the world would you get that cross-section of society? And God was so present in those conversations. He was 
being at work, and there was a quality and a depth to those conversations. And it was beautiful. It was like an outpost of kingdom on planet Earth. And that's what we're about, aren't we? Because we see that in Acts. Is that the church, they, they asked Jesus about um, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, and his response is, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. This is what the kingdom looks like. It was so encouraging to see so many of you at the Thy Kingdom Come prayer events. You know, we actually saw people, we saw people get healed. And we want to be people that are devoting ourselves to prayer. Devoting ourselves to, to seeing the kingdom break in, that we might see signs and wonders, that we might see miracles. We, we might even see the miracle of, of selfish human beings becoming selfless in the service of their God and their fellow men and women. In the, uh, in the second century AD, Caesar Hadrian asked a man called Aristides to uh, get to the bottom of this fast-growing cult called the Way, what we know as the church. And this was his report back to the emperor. He wrote this. They love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something of the divine in the midst of them. You know, the, the, Rome, the, the early church didn't just outlast the Roman Empire. It outshone it. And might it be said of us, might it be said of HTC that there was something of the divine in the midst of us? William Wilberforce and his friends did not transform society by merely attending church, but by devoting themselves to the glory of God and the good of their fellow creatures. And we have exactly what the early church has. Actually, we've got it better than the early church. I mean, we have the apostles' teaching, but we, we have it written down. And we, we have the Holy Spirit. We, we might not have been a witnesses to the resurrection itself, but I've been witness to Jesus' resurrection power in my life. And I've been witness to his resurrection power in the lives of many people here tonight. And so we have exactly what the early church has. So why the gap? Why is there a gap between what we see in the early church and what we experience? Because there's, there's absolutely nothing in this book. There's absolutely nowhere in this book does it ever say that this was all meant to, to peter out in the early church. This was a particularly intense time and all these things needed to end. You were made for more. Elton John uh, wrote this one day in his diary. Woke up, watched Grandstand. Wrote Candle in the Wind. Went to London, bought Rolls Royce. Ringo Starr came for dinner. And he wrote recently in The Observer, I suppose I was trying to normalize what was happening. But the fact was, what was happening to me wasn't normal. Many of you have learned how to normalize God. And you've learned how to normalize church. And it's all just become a bit uh, too usual and what you expect. 
And I'm not saying that we need to have this sort of constant state of euphoria. But that joy in following Jesus is available to you. In the verses before this passage, in verse 37, it says that when they heard about Jesus being crucified, they were cut to the heart. I wonder, has grace amazed you lately? Why do we gather? We gather to find God amazing together. Because God is the interesting thing about church. All I have to offer you is Jesus Christ. And we gather to have as many connections as possible to Jesus. That everything we do in church is there to enable us to not just have moments of awe, but to cultivate a lifetime of devotion to him. Everything that we do, unashamedly and unreservedly focusing on the cross. As if God is just a concept to you. At best, he's background noise. But if he's real, if you encounter the real thing, he will set you on fire for him and for those that don't yet know him. You know, I think of someone in our congregation who, who lives in community very intentionally, where they, they share their belongings and they devote themselves to fellowship. They devote themselves to prayers. And that's what I see here in this passage. The, the redistribution of wealth that we see in the early church. There's still home ownership, but people have a kingdom mindset about their belongings. This is not Marxism. It's something far more beautiful than Marxism. They're not forced to share their wealth. They actually want to do it. What we need, even more than the internal reordering of a building, is the internal reordering of our hearts. That we might be gladly and sincerely offering ourselves. Then in verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That community that I just mentioned that community, uh, behaving as they have, just sort of quite as a byproduct, they have seen people get saved. It's what we've seen on Sundays so much this year, which we're so grateful to God for. It's what we're hoping and praying for, for the Clapham Sunday, living with that expectation that Tim was speaking about before, that we would see 50 people get saved. Because all of the devotion, all of the affection, all of the love becomes irresistible, it becomes contagious. And on today, which the church marks as Trinity Sunday, where we're reminded that we worship a relational God, a God who pours out his Holy Spirit when his people come together. And that word together that we see there in this passage, that the, the word together is actually not really strong enough. It really means that they were of one heart and of one mind. If Acts 2 is the application of the command by Jesus Christ. And it is also the answer to the prayer of Jesus that we might be one in order that the world might believe. You know, no more seminars. No more lessons, no more conferences, no more workshops. Please, no. I don't need to learn how to build the church. Jesus said he would build the church if only we might love one another deeply. And in an age that is increasingly polarized and divided between leave and remain and north and south and have and have nots, 
can you imagine what might happen if a community gathered of people that were completely devoted to God and devoted to one another and to the people beyond these walls? Because Jesus, he did not die a gruesome and shameful death on a cross so that you and I might attend something that we happen to call church, but that people might get saved. People um, might get saved, people that need his love, that need his grace, just as much as you and I do. That we might be red hot on fire for him. That we would gather in order to scatter, to live and to work to his praise and glory. That we might know the privilege and the power of being the people of God, taking the kingdom of heaven with us wherever we go. Ultimately, it it comes down to this. Has this Jesus, has he completely captured your imagination and your attention and your devotion? You don't need to ask, am I devoted tonight? If you're devoted, you know. If you're obsessed with something, you know. If you've fallen madly in love with someone, you know. Everyone around you knows. This is only when you see Jesus being devoted to you that you will hold very, very lightly to the things of this world and very, very tightly to Jesus Christ. Jesus' devotion to you is not flaky. He does not attach and detach himself from you like Velcro. And only Jesus can take you from attendance to all. Only he can take you from duty to desire, from religion to relationship, from obligation to obsession. You and I were made for more. Deep down, I long to live a life of passionate devotion. And I know that you do too. That each one of us would come here on a Sunday devoted to Jesus and growing in our purpose, being fulfilled in Jesus and fulfilling our purpose of loving God more and more and more and more and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Amen.